Hey, you're listening to the Start Something podcast where we take you behind the scenes of the founder journey, breaking down what it takes and how it can change your life. My name is Bailey. And my name is Shruti. And today we're super, super excited to talk to you about how to build a team and build your personal board of advisors, right? Yes. Um, so before we get started, let's define some terminology. I feel like the audience will know what a team is. So I think we don't need to define that. Probably good. We're good to go. But personal board of advisors, like you hear about the term board of advisors at work with your company maybe, but your personal board of advisors, I think that's kind of a fresh term. Can you define that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about a personal board of advisors, I'm not imagining that I'm getting this group of people together to sit down at a table, to have conversations that direct the course of my life. But at the same time, I am having those types of conversations with each of these people individually. The kind of of people who I've spent a lot of time with, who have helped me make these decisions about what I want to do, where I want to go with my life, etc., are oftentimes professors, teachers, Mm. even like a a high school teacher who you really connected with. Um, It could be literally even friends, parents who have played any kind of mentorship role. These are people that you admire and that you you know really value the insights and opinions of and they're the kind of people who can help you use your time really wisely in order to go in the direction that you want to go yeah if we're always just guessing and checking as we kind of build our lives then we're really missing an opportunity to get expert guidance from people who have you know been there done that and they have a lot of insight that we could use to build our lives and our careers in a more streamlined way so yeah. when i think about that personal board of advisors i think about the different um the different mentors mm-hmm. and you know the kind of the team that i've created who help me make those decisions and who bring insights to the table and experience that i just don't have yeah and, and just to clarify to anyone who's listening to us you're not paying these people, no. right? Like, <laughs> sometimes I offer. Sometimes I offer to to pay for coffee, but typically, if this is someone who's like you know an adult who's made it, who's who has a career and a family, etc., yeah. as most of these advisors typically are, like they're not going to let me, as a say college student, pick up the tab. Like they know they know those five dollars mean a lot to me, and they're going to let me keep them. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, kind of with that in mind, can you talk about your story of building this personal board of advisors? How did you learn about the term? How did you learn about this concept? And how did you go about doing this? Yeah. So I wouldn't say that I learned about the term for like quite a few years after I'd already been doing these practices. So I didn't think about it as a personal board of advisors for a while. But what I did think about is, okay, where do I want to go? What do I need to do to achieve those goals? And who can help me, you know, who who has the experience and the insights that I need to make more effective decisions? And so I didn't think about them as my personal board of advisors, but I noticed that I was always inclined towards, you know, asking a lot of questions of the people that I was around. And once I found a person who tended to like take on a mentorship role with Mm. me and if we had a connection and whether it was you know going to professor's office hours or you know asking asking someone who who has a career that I want to have if they join me for coffee um, and give me some you know some tips as a student but as I started those conversations I think there was like a natural progression that took place because if you're curious and you really want to learn from someone's experience and they have some kind of connection to you and they wanna help you, then 
there's a mentorship role that happens naturally. Yeah. Even if you never ask them formally, like, I don't think I've ever, well, maybe rarely asked someone to be my mentor. Like, I don't think I went to them and said, will you please mentor me? But they did mentor me by nature of the conversations that we had and in many cases continue to have. And in fact, like just to add to your point, I actually have tried both, right? Mm -hmm. Like where I've tried, I I think your point holds very strongly where natural connections, building these things over time um, is how I've learned the most from the people that I'm closest to. But I have also gone down the path where I'm like, hey, can you be my mentor? Like you're super inspiring actually that's failed for me Mm -hmm. because it's so unnatural. It's so unorganic. And even when people have asked me that it's hard for me to build a connection as someone who might want to mentor that, like be a mentor to someone else. Right. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting point I would add to. Yeah. So let's talk about who is on your personal board of advisors. Yeah. So my personal board of advisors has changed a lot over the years. Some of the people who I still look to as my like most influential mentors have actually stayed the same. Hmm. And so I remember when I, when I first felt like I was putting this board together, I remember one of my first bosses was someone who was incredibly inspiring to me. There was no job that he wouldn't do to ensure that like the operation that we were running ran mm. smoothly. And at the time I was working in a restaurant. So he oh, was the yeah. restaurant manager and I had so much respect for him because not only would he do anything to make sure the restaurant was, you know, running smoothly, yeah. he'd pick up like, you know, he's not going to send somebody else to go pick up the trash on the floor. He'll just do it and he won't say anything about it. Mm. And it doesn't matter how small the job is like he would do the job of any person at the restaurant and there would never be a conversation about like oh well I'm the manager I shouldn't do that yeah and I had so much respect for that and I also had so much appreciation for the fact that he treated everyone at the restaurant equally so hmm. whether you were uh, the general manager like the, literally the owner of the restaurant or you were a server like me I was a, I was a waitress or a mm. server or if you were a busser, or if you were a person who washed dishes, like it didn't matter, you were the chef. It didn't matter who you were. He treated everyone with respect wow. and everyone with kindness. And he really like sought to like empathize with every single person who worked there. And that might seem like the obvious right thing to do, but I'd had other jobs before where I felt like the preferential treatment was really obvious. Yeah. And I appreciated so much like being able to learn from him and I I watched the way that he operated and I just wanted to be like that I was like how did that happen like how did you translate that into now you're running a company right yeah so how did that those skills or those observations translate yeah so I think my job working in restaurants actually taught me more about being a CEO than almost any other type of job that I had. Any, Interesting. Any tech job, any fancy internship, nothing taught me as much about running my business as being a waitress and working in a restaurant. Okay, let's break that down because <laughs> those two don't connect so easily in my yeah. mind. You know. Okay, fair enough. So part of some of the things that come up for me when it comes to working in a restaurant, you're learning, obviously learning hospitality. So if you're doing, if you're doing any kind of sales or marketing or fundraising, learning how to take someone's order Mm. and learning how to be hospitable is going to help you with those skills. Mm. And also if you're in a restaurant and you are, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the cook, if you're, you know, the busser, if you're the waiter, it doesn't matter. Everyone has the same goal and that's to deliver the food to the customer while it's hot. Yeah. Like 
you, you could deliver someone's food and if it was supposed to be hot with, you know, in the first place and it's lukewarm or it's cold by the time it gets to that person, they're going to be very unhappy. Yeah. And so there's so much that you have to think through in terms of timing and mm. how all of these different groups work together to ensure that someone not only gets their food, but they get their food while it's hot. And so just seeing like the well-orchestrated machine yeah. that a restaurant is taught me so much about timing and understanding the market and understanding mm. how to deliver a product and when to deliver a product, et cetera. And so I feel like all of those skills translated directly to running my business. That's crazy. <laughs> crazy awesome. You know, like I would never, I would never have thought the connection yep. um, until now you've told me, but it makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, I think him as a, as a manager, to me, he's on my personal board of advisors, but one, he doesn't really know it. And two, we're not getting together for coffee outside of work, but what I am doing is spending a lot of time, you know, before or after work, asking him questions, like learning from his leadership yeah. and taking the time not just to appreciate the example that he is for me, but to ask him more questions about, well, why do you do things like this? And so this person literally does not know. He is on my personal board. <laughs> he might find out after listening to this one. Maybe I'll send him this episode. Hey, do you remember me? <laughs> Once I got to college, I think people did get a better sense of the fact that they were mentoring me. Like I think yeah. it was a little bit more obvious. And those mentors were oftentimes my instructors. I think the most important thing about this personal board of advisors. All of these people who are mentoring you right now or you know who you're inspired by or getting to know, any of these people could be a potential teammate, they could be a potential investor, they could be a potential co-founder, an advisor, etc. And you never know who those people are going to be. Yeah. And so this concept that I learned from my mom that has always really helped me to maximize the environments that I'm in is to believe that like you're always on an interview like every interaction is an interview you're interviewing each other it's not just that you're the interviewee or interviewer but you're you're both roles simultaneously really yes and so in the classes that i took i met not only did i meet my co-founder i also met all of our first investors wow mm -hmm. and i met my first employees and wow. some of them were my instructors so like one of my tas from um, one of my one of my classes, yeah. he was our second employee, my co-founder. I met in a class. Um, one of one of my teammates was my debate coach at yeah. Berkeley, and then again, our first three investors were all people who I met in a classroom setting. This, first of all, is awesome and inspiring. Like that's great to learn. I'm also curious because I'm sure some people listening out there might not be in a classroom setting. Yeah. They might not get the like you know they might not be in having the opportunity to go to Berkeley, yeah. right? And how can they put themselves, like how does this advice that you're setting out mm -hmm. apply to those, that group? Yeah, so it doesn't matter what kind of environment you're in, as long as you treat that environment like a place where you could meet someone mm. who could change your life. Mm. And so if you treat every environment as an opportunity to be in an interview and to be collaborating and to be learning about the person that you're speaking with, then you will always be meeting people yeah. who could play a significant role at your company, but broadly speaking, in your life. A lot of the people who I've met in the last few years, so since I graduated, I graduated from college a few years ago, and since then, I have still continued to meet people who have become investors, 
people who have become employees, wow. people who have become friends and collaborators, etc. And I find those people all over the place. I find them at conferences, which is like a really obvious kind of career-oriented place. Like that's a location that you might expect to find yeah. a collaborator. But I've also met, interviewed, and hired people who I've literally connected with at like coffee shops who have met. I, I would say the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy, right? One of our one of our friends actually, um, Haley. Mm. Um, so she runs a company called Passion Footwear. They make convertible heels that turn from being a heel um, into like comfortable flats. She's a boss. <laughs> and she told me this unbelievable story okay. about how she was literally at Starbucks in line telling her friend, where am I going to find somebody who is interested in engineering heels like who cares about designing shoes yeah and the person behind her in line tapped her on the shoulder and said hi i'm an engineer who likes designing shoes no way and she's no like way. she doesn't miss a beat she says okay well then i'd love to meet you here tomorrow to like go through your portfolio of shoes that you designed yeah sure enough they meet like the next day at mm -hmm. starbucks and he walks her through this massive portfolio of shoes that's crazy that he designed that's insane and this brings me to another really really important point when it comes to building not not just the board of advisors but your team in general if you take the time to find something that you're excited about and you're willing to share that thing with other people you become magnetic yeah. and people love spending time with and collaborating with people who really believe in something. And so being willing to develop that interest in yourself and share it, mm -hmm. and also to ask questions of the people that you're with to find out what their interests are that they're really excited about, yeah. you'll be able to learn very quickly and connect really quickly with people and get a sense of, is this someone I want to be on my team? Is this someone whose team I want to be on? Yeah. And you'll also get a sense of like, okay, no, we don't really have that spark. And I think developing those interests, being willing to share them, and being willing to really look for those things in other people will give you a leg up and give you opportunities that most people never get to have. And it's not because they didn't go to Berkeley. Yeah. It's because they didn't really foster that thing that they're excited about. And they didn't foster the ability to ask questions and then ask further questions based on people's answers. So what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, we might be having people in the audience right now sitting on a New York subway, sitting next to their yeah. potential co-founder, literally, totally. right? Like mm -hmm. any, anything can happen. Really, the belief has to come from within. And I love the way you said this, but attracting energies, right? Mm -hmm. And really drawing them in based on your passion and your inner belief. Like even us, like as we we're telling our close friends, a lot of our girlfriends about this podcast that we're starting, I feel like I've all I've seen is love and support for this and and so many potential avenues to grow this, which is so exciting, right? Yeah. Because we've just scratched the surface. We've just gotten started. So totally. your advice, 100% applicable. We talked about, you know, you the fact that you can literally meet someone at Starbucks who you might potentially work with all the way to you might be in a classroom setting and you might be sitting next to your co-founders and that every single person that you meet, every interaction is an interview, mm -hmm. right? So with that in mind, how do you prepare for that interview? Like, how do you prepare for that interaction? Like, what's like some tactical techniques that I can walk away with that I could literally try on the next person sitting next to me? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there are, there are two things. I had a mentor tell me one time that it's more important to be interested than interesting. Hmm. This is a really 
critical mindset to help one, to build these relationships and also to decrease social anxiety. Mm. When I first heard this quote from this mentor, it was in relation to the nerves and anxiety that I had walking into some of these social situations. And as soon as he said that, and I, I realized, oh, I don't have to be interesting here. I don't have to be the next Steve Jobs for someone to like want to connect with me and you know do something meaningful together. Instead, if I can focus my energy on being interested in them and discovering what is it that lights you up? Like what are you excited about? Yeah. Then my natural curiosity and enthusiasm will come through by stoking theirs. Mm. And there's a this is a very tactical step, but something that I that I read that helped me to ask better questions is the New York Times study that says something like 36 questions to fall in love. And if you like, literally, if you Google that, it'll bring up these 36 questions that this study used to help people develop closer relationships Mm. at a much faster rate than just like spending time having small talk, right? Okay, so what's the couple that are, I don't know if you remember a couple. So some of them have to do with like asking people about their life story. Mm. There are questions that give the other person an opportunity to be vulnerable, to be you know, excited about something, to share goals that they have for their lives or things that they reflect on that they are grateful for, that they yeah. wish they could change, maybe even things that you have in common with the, you know, yeah. the person that you're speaking with. And maybe they do help to fall in love, but I think the reason that the New York Times like taught, like I don't remember who wrote the article, but I think the reason that they talked about these as being so meaningful in like a love environment is because it's easy to grow accustomed to not asking people personal questions about themselves. Totally. You show up to an event, you're like, hey, how are you? Where are you from? How's the weather today? These basic, basic questions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think I did this shift subconsciously, but I don't know if you've played the game We're Not Really Strangers. I have. Okay. <laughs> I think we've played it together too, potentially. Probably. But they have very deep questions. Honestly, it's similar to the, the list of questions you've suggested. It's very deep. It's very tactical. I literally go up to strangers and I'm like, what makes you happy? Yeah. Like, I, I'm like, I don't even know you, but like, let's start with that. And they're like, whoa, you're getting personal really quickly. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. but then we're opening ourselves up really quickly and I can figure out whether we're two people that would align mm-hmm. or are we two people that are in two different vectors in life and, and both are okay, yeah. but it's, it's a faster way to get an answer, right? Yeah, and it's a way to know, am I, am I having a conversation with someone who is, I, I like to think of the metaphor of scuba diving, It's like, am I with a scuba diver right now or am I with a snorkeler? There is no problem with snorkeling. Snorkeling (laughs) can be really fun. You stay at the surface of the water. You get a a little bit of a view, you know, as long as the water is not very deep. But if you're with someone who's like a scuba diver, then it's like, how deep do you want to go right now? Like, I will go there with you. Yeah. And I am definitely the latter. Like, if you asked me a really personal, deep question about myself... I would actually give you an answer to the question. Okay, I'm Bailey. Not, no, <laughs> I take it back. Don't ask me something. <laughs> What's your social security number? <laughs> Everyone note it down. <laughs> okay, I'm like literally committing fraud on a podcast. <laughs> Stop. Oh my gosh. That's not where I thought you were going with that. I'm actually really relieved. That's way less personal <laughs> than what I was expecting. But if you are the kind of person 
who is willing to ask deeper and deeper questions and also willing to give deeper and deeper answers, yeah. then you can build a relationship with someone just through your like exploratory conversations. And I, speaking just for myself personally, but I suspect that a lot of people feel this way, I wish and I crave people asking me hard questions and also people asking me hard or insightful questions about myself. Yeah. Like I want to go there anyway and going there with someone else feels a lot more energizing and it creates a bond between you and that person that's real because we tend to relate to people based on specificity, yeah. not based on like broad themes. So if you ask really specific, like personal questions about people and you get to know them, you will actually feel more connected with that person because specificity, even though we all have these like overarching things that themes that play a role in our lives, it's specificity where we really feel that deep human connection. Yeah. It's like the specificity points to those broader themes. Yeah. So if I ask you a question and I get to know things about you that you're really excited about, things that, like you said, make you happy then even if the things that make you happy are completely different than the things that make me happy, by seeing you go there, by seeing you go to the place where you're like, oh my gosh, honestly, right now, the gym makes me really happy. Like yes. getting strong makes I mean, me really We were happy. just talking about this, yes. right? Yeah. Like even if it didn't resonate for me, seeing you be happy like that raises the vibration of the conversation and it makes me feel happier too. Yeah. And it makes me like, even happier about the things that I'm happy about. I, I totally agree. And I want to tie that a little bit back to the personal board of advisors, right? And and something that my mentor, um, his, he's the CEO of one of the largest survey analytics tools. It's called Question Pro. Um, he told me this piece of advice and it's stuck with me. And it's anytime you meet someone, it's exactly on the same lines of you, but almost even one level deeper and more tactical. He's like, Think of like, don't waste my time, basically. Like come to me and research about me before you meet me, right? Like learn about me before you meet me. If I give you 20 minutes, okay, what kind of questions are you gonna ask me? How are you gonna get to know me? And then also have an ask when you walk away. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was extremely insightful, right? Because if I meet someone new and I eventually want them to mentor me, I'm not gonna ask them, how are you? How's the weather? Honestly, not even like what makes you happy, but like even like, tell me about your biggest failure when you were building this company. What was your biggest failure? How did you learn from it, right? Like even a question like that. Not only A, do they know that you're interested in them, but B, you're trying to learn from them, right? That vibration goes higher. And then you can share your failures and say, well, here's where I'm struggling. Do you know what I can do, right? And that's how you turn a question, like turn it into advice and turn it into a mentorship conversation. Um, I thought I would give that example because it was very much so in my mind. I don't know if you've had similar type of experiences yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think being able to use someone's time effectively and also show them that you respect their time by being prepared, it doesn't just do a lot for you. It, it shows them that you respect them. Exactly. And it makes you more likely to, it makes them more likely to want to meet with you in the future yeah. because they feel like their experience is really going to a good place. And, you know, when you ask someone about a failure that they had and how they're learning from it, it actually gives them an opportunity to learn from that failure in a deeper way. And it makes the failure that they experienced more meaningful yeah. because now they're able to share the lesson with somebody else. Exactly. And so you're not the only person benefiting from this interaction. They're benefiting too, because as they explain that, that the answer to that question, 
they're answering it for themselves. Maybe some of the people that we meet with have answered these questions lots of times. Maybe they're authors. They've written yeah. books about it. You know, they've, they've given keynote speeches about it. <laughs> But a lot of people haven't. Yeah. And by asking them those questions, they get the benefit of actually answering it, not just for you, but for themselves. Yeah. And so those are the types of things and connections that makes people want to continue mentoring you, even if you're not officially calling them your mentor. And you don't need to officially call them yeah. your mentor. They don't, like you said, your restaurant manager never knew that yeah. he was on your personal board of advisors, right? Mm -hmm. How do you recommend do you have a recommendation on number of people to have in your life or how you, like you mentioned, your personal board of advisors also changes over the years. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about how and why? Yeah, I think that when it comes to these relationships, quality is much more important than quantity. And so figuring out, okay, what do, what do I want my life to look like? Yeah. Who are people in my life who can help me move in the direction that I want to go? And who has experience that I really want to have? Like who has, you know, if you want to be a lawyer, like how can I, you know, start speaking with lawyers to learn more about the profession, the career track, et cetera, and also the day-to-day -day feel of being a lawyer. Because yeah. I think a lot of people want certain professions, but don't really enjoy the day-to-day -day of what that profession looks like. Yeah. And I think if you don't enjoy the day-to-day, -day, that profession is not for you. I mean, even the founder title, right? Being a CEO, totally. everyone loves the idea of it. But mm -hmm. when time comes to play, think about how many lows you've had through this experience. Yeah. And I mean, you've had highs, don't mm -hmm. get me wrong, but every founder goes through highs and lows and you need to be able to handle that too, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think that if you want to be a founder, growth mindset is the most critical, like foundational approach that you have to anything. And I think if you aren't a person who loves really catalyzing growth, then this would be a much, much, much more challenging journey. It's already challenging. And if you don't have a growth mindset, it makes it extremely painful. Yeah. And it's already painful in some ways, but as we know from the experience, the painful moments, of course, is where we grow the most. Yes. It's where we realize, okay, this isn't working. Yeah. I need to do something differently. Yeah. It's where we develop, you know, a thick skin. It's where, you know, in, in rejection, that's where we become more confident because we learn that we can handle rejection. Yeah. You know? And so those things, like having those things in, you know, as a, a mindset that you continue to like invest in yeah and it's not just people don't either have a growth mindset or not it's something that you can continue to develop over time yeah with intention like anything you can continue to improve it over time and so i think that's absolutely critical to the founder journey but anyway back to lawyers we we go all over, We're all over <laughs> so this is where having someone who actually has the job title that you want to have could be a really, really good person to be on your personal board of advisors. Yeah. So for me, one of the people who has been the biggest influence in my life, the reason that I decided to start my company, the person who encouraged me to start my company, hmm. um, he was one of my instructors at UC Berkeley and his name is Shomit Ghost. Everyone who talks to me knows how important he was in my life and continues to be. And he's the person who I met for coffee and said to me, 
Bailey, you have to do this. Like you have to start this company. Yeah. And he was a he'd been a, a CEO and or on the founding team or on the executive team for six companies. Wow. And was very, very, very successful, very wow. effective. But I didn't just appreciate and respect him and admire him because of his success in the industries that I'm interested in or in the, you know, the style, the lifestyle, you know, being a founder, CEO, et cetera, yeah. that I was interested in. But I also really resonated with his values, with his personal philosophies. And I think if we, if we treat our personal board of advisors, like I have a job to fill, so I just need to find someone in the next two weeks who's going to be that mentor. And that's one way of doing it. But I think if we're constantly looking and we're always asking deep questions of people and we're always trying to understand their ambitions and their values, when the right person comes along, you'll know. It'll just click. Mm-hmm. It, it'll just absolutely click. But um, you have to be looking. You have, you have yeah. to be, you, like, you've got to have your head up. You can't just be sitting at home, staring at the TV and expecting your personal board of advisors to show up. Mm-hmm. That's the advice that I'm hearing right now. Totally. It's like, and, yeah, you can sit in the back of the class yeah. and you can be on your laptop, online shopping. That'll work. And that's fine. I mean, you might, you're going to get through the class and maybe it's boring and maybe, you know, maybe you'll just move through that period of time and like, okay, cool. At least I did the thing. Maybe you hate the subject. I don't know. But you're missing an opportunity to have your head up, to be looking around and witnessing like what how do the people in this class interact? Who are the people sitting around me? Who is my professor? Who are the people who just show up and listen in? Yeah. Literally those classrooms is where I often developed these relationships with the people who became not just my personal advisors, but my investors, my employees, my advisors, et cetera. And someone might be a peer in your class, but they might have a lot of success in the area that you want to develop. Oh, to, my, my co-founder Karthik was my dear classmate yeah. that I worked on classes with for four years. Yeah. Right. And you then never know who you're yeah, and, to. and I had zero expectation that he and I would become co-founders. Right? I never yeah. thought about that. So literally you never know who you're sitting next to. Yeah. I, I think something I wanted to add to that's shaped me in defining who my personal board of advisors to your point that changes over the years, as your goals change, as you continue to grow, as your brain develops, your board's going to change too, right? I found that when I sat on someone else's personal board of advisors, that really impacted how I defined my personal board of advisors. Because then you get to sit in your mentor's shoes when you're 22, when you're 20, right? You don't have any better lens. You don't have any better context. And you might, like the closest people near you might be filling that personal board of advisors, right? But how you can continue to grow from that is really when I sat on someone else's, I learned how am I helping them? How am I impacting them and what are they seeking? And how am I able to help them? Because that makes me understand how can I evaluate someone else's strengths and what do I need from them? Yeah. I wonder if you've had, I mean, you mentor tons of people here in this community. How has your experience shaped your personal board of advisors? Yeah, well, I think what you said is, is so perfect because that is where, like in mentorship, is where we really develop the skills and the insights that we have. Yeah. And it's also where we generate more meaning around those skills and insights. I know for me, as a female founder who's gone through a lot of really hard things in my founder journey, Mm. I didn't have a lot of female founder mentors who could tell me what I was walking into. Yeah. I just didn't know very many. And honestly, there weren't very many in my life that I like interacted with at any event. I knew lots of male founders, but very few female founders. And 
I hope that my experience and my story will really help other female founders to not go through some of the things that I went through. And that makes my story more meaningful to me. And I think you give, like you create that opportunity for yourself by mentoring. And so, yes, I definitely feel like I mentor a lot of, especially students who want to be founders. And unfortunately, there's like, there isn't enough time to mentor (laughs) as many people as I would like to. I mean, that's kind of, I don't know if we ever really talked about the reason why we started this podcast, but seriously, that's part of the reason, right? (laughs) Yeah, it makes it more meaningful. (laughs) We don't have all the hours to help every single person individually, but we're hoping that this platform can help get to those who need that help, right? And we don't want people to go through the mistakes that we went through, and boy, did we make a ton of mistakes. So many mistakes, (laughs) so many mistakes. I feel like, and I had a friend one time tell me that everybody learned this way, but I really have to learn things the hard way. Yeah. But there are ways to shorten what the hard way looks like. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, even as we're going through this experience, as we're building our company, we've made plenty and plenty of mistakes. Yeah. So yeah. that's recognizing that you're going to keep making mistakes, I think is the other aspect of that. Like knowing like, hey, I know I'm probably gonna fail again, but fail quickly, right? Yeah. And learn from that, so. Absolutely. Yeah. And well, I wanna add one more, please, share one more resource. Please, please. That could be really helpful that was helpful for me as I was figuring out the answers to the questions I mentioned earlier, like where do I wanna go in my life? What do I, you know, what direction do I wanna go? What kind of career do I wanna have? If I wanna have a career at all, like what does this look like? And my co-founder actually recommended this book to me years ago called, I think it's called The Defining Decade. Tell me about it. (laughs) And it's about how to really leverage your 20s to help establish the foundation that you want to have for the rest of your life. And it's one of those things that I just love at the beginning of the book, she says, everyone tells you that this is the best time of your life and you should just, you know, really enjoy it now because it's all downhill from here. I hated hearing things like that. Yeah. And in the book, she talks about how this is actually a really challenging decade because you're kind of, you're let loose, you're suddenly an adult, you have to make all these adult decisions and none of the education that we had growing up actually prepared us, or at least very little no of the education, <laughs> prepared us to ask and answer questions about mm-hmm. how to design our lives. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking for a resource to get a better sense of direction and also what the building blocks look like, that you know, you could be laying in your 20s to really create the life that you want to have, that is a very good resource to start with. And and for those of you who think Bailey's suggesting maybe like a slightly cheesy recommendation, like it's called The Defining Decade, I have to, like I have a little story behind oh, please. My, like me reading this book. So my mentor, when I was an intern, he gave this book to me when I was 20. He's like, I want you to read this once when you're 20, read it once when you're 25, and read it once when you're 30. And I saw this and I was like, The Defining Decade, a book that tells me I'm going to make mistakes. Mistakes, I'm not gonna make any mistakes. Like, what the heck is this book talking about? And I like, read it when I was 20, and I, I literally was like, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. I have my life figured out, it's all good. Read it again at 25, and I was like, oh my God, I've been through every single one of these mistakes. <laughs> so it's a super helpful book, um, gives you that perspective, and it's a cool book to carry through your 20s. Like, I, I'm excited, I keep rereading it. You yeah. know, I, I find myself reading it over and over again. Yeah. I think that's one of the best tactical things that someone can you know end this podcast right now and go and do immediately yeah um i appreciate your time so much bailey thank you i feel like we've learned so much about how to build your personal board of advisors and a team what does that mean to you how does that change and really like how can people get started
started today. And that's my biggest intention with every one of these episodes. You turn this off and you go take an action. Um, so with that in mind, that's episode, that's another episode. Let's start something. Fantastic. And yeah. I think I need to go read the book again. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it's time. Yeah. So thanks, Shruti. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> thanks so much for listening. We will see you next time on the Start Something podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs>